Good morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity of being here at Houghton Wesleyan Church and worshiping with you this morning and this weekend for your missions weekend. Grateful for the theme, which is representing God in a needy world. I know some of you are disappointed when you see me standing before you today. Because you heard that the Native Ministries director was coming and you thought he'd at least be Native. So I'm sorry, I I myself am not Native American, but uh, we certainly have a lot lot of Native American pastors and leaders who are working to reach their people for Christ in a culturally relevant way. We celebrate and thank God for them. And uh, although although I'm not Native, my wife and I are working on our own tribe. We have uh, five children so far, ages 5 to 15. Our oldest three are boys and our youngest two are girls. And uh, sorry I could not bring them with me here this morning. Well, if I'm not Indian, at least some of you thought, well, at least he could be a cowboy, probably from out west somewhere. And I'm from western Michigan, so I'm not sure if that qualifies as being from out west. But I think we did bring you the snow that you're enjoying uh, this weekend. So uh, you're welcome. Well, as as Pastor West said, uh, Wesleyan Native Ministries has been around for over 60 years, working to reach Native people for Christ and to equip and empower Native men and women to take the lead in doing just that. And we've been blessed for your partnership with us over many years and grateful for the team that came out a year ago to serve with us and the team going out here in a few weeks. Thank you for partnering with them to make it possible for them to go and serve with us out in South Dakota. Well, uh, Native people are among the poorest of the poor in the U.S. and Canada. In fact, in some of the places where we work, unemployment is up to 90%. So it's hard for many people to find jobs or opportunities to provide for themselves. They're the the poorest people in the United States and Canada if we look at uh, financially, uh, emotionally, and also spiritually. Poverty rates are sky high. Depression and suicide rates are out of this world. And sadly, very few natives follow Christ. Hope you'll come back tonight and we'll talk more about why all of that is and what we're doing thanks to your partnership to help Uh, to reach Native people for Christ, to help bring hope and to help transform Native communities through the power of Christ. So hope you'll come back and join us tonight. Also, before I uh, say anything more, I want to find my ink pen. I've I've brought a gift for everyone, an ink pen, and it's got our Wesleyan Native Ministries name on it. So I hope as you'll use it, it'll be a prompt for you to pray for our ministry. We've got several different colors, and they're out at the table in the back. We invite you to stop and pick one or two of those up. Also, we've put together a prayer calendar so that you can be praying for us each month of the year. There's a different, uh, different prayer focus there, different things to be praying for. Now we've already missed January. But there's still lots of February left in the rest of the year. So we invite you to stop by again after the service and pick one of those up as well. Well, our topic for this weekend is representing God in a needy world. And our verse that we're looking at today is from James 1, verse 27. Listen as I read that this morning. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and for your word and the message you give us today, Lord, about true religion or true faith that makes a difference in the lives of others. Don't know where everyone is today, Lord, but I pray that you'd work in our hearts and help us to hear your word 
and also to be doers of it, Lord, to put it into practice, to give it hands and feet, to be your representatives in a needy world. So speak to us today, Lord, help us to hear and help us to obey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage from James 1.27 is one that I find very fascinating, both for what it says and what it doesn't say about what a pure religion or what a true faith should be like, a true faith that honors God. First, I'd like to give you a little bit of a background or some history about the book of James and, and who James is writing to. He was writing to Jewish Christian believers. They were people that grew up Jews, but somehow had learned about Christ and had given their lives to Christ. So they're Jewish believers who by this time were scattered all across the world. They weren't just in Palestine or in Israel anymore. So they've been following God since birth, probably like many of us have. And they were probably active in their worship, going to services on a regular basis, probably active in giving tithes and offerings. Certainly active in keeping the law and avoiding known sin. They were concerned about personal piety and and holiness. But something must have happened in their religious practice because throughout the letter, James reminds them over and over what pure religion or what true faith really is. It's not just about going to church, not just about listening to the word and avoiding obvious sins. It's also about doing what the word says. It's about caring for those who are poor and vulnerable and hurting. It's about representing God in a needy world. Throughout the letter, we find that James talks a lot about not just being a hearer of the word, but also a doer. In fact, in James 1.22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and, and so deceive or fool yourselves. Do what it says. Later in James 2, verses 14 to 26, James says that faith without works, without action, is dead. He explains that you can't prove that your, I'm sorry, he says that you can prove that your faith is alive by doing the good works that God the Father has given you to do. This passage reminds me a lot um, of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. When I was a child in the Awana program at our church growing up, I memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and for some reason, those verses always went together. For by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. But somehow verse 10 was left off there, and I wish they would have kept it together, because verse 10 says, For we're God's workmanship, where his handiwork were created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it's not by our works that we're saved, but Ephesians 2, 10 says it's, it's, it's for works that we've been saved. We're not saved by good works, but for good works. We're not just saved from something, from punishment, but we're saved for something, to be about doing the good work that God prepared long in advance for me and you to do. So here in our theme verse for the weekend, James 1, 27 James is hearkening back to a calling that we read all throughout the Old Testament, a calling that surely these Jewish Christians would have been very familiar with. But they apparently had lost sight of it. A calling for God's people to care for widows, for orphans, for the oppressed. 
And why should we do that? Because they are at the very heart of God. Psalm 146.9, just looking at one uh, verse in the Old Testament, says the Lord watches over or protects the alien or foreigners, and he sustains or nourishes or cares for the fatherless and the widow. And he frustrates or turns upside down the ways of the wicked. Another verse in the Psalms, Psalm 68.5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Have you ever met someone and wondered what they're really like at home? Some of you are probably thinking about that, about me or certainly about Pastor Wes. Is he really who he appears to be at church or at work? We can learn a lot about someone by looking at how they really are at home, can't we? We can learn about their character, about what's really important to them, how they treat their spouse, how they treat their children, uh, how they interact with their neighbors, and how they treat their dog. And some of you are thinking, or how they obey their cat. <laughs> Psalm 68.5, let me read it again. It says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Is God at home in his true self? Psalm 68.5 says, if you really want to get to know who God is, if you really want to understand his character, then take a good look at how God acts at home, in his holy dwelling. And I'm convinced the more we read God's word, the more we seek his face, the more we get to know God and discover who he is, what his real nature is, we find that he is loving and kind and that he cares for the poor, the hurting and the oppressed. I think someone needs to hear that today just because of what you're going through right now in your life. You need to know that God is on your side, that God stands with you no matter the pain or the hurt that you're experiencing right now. So is it any wonder then that James would tell us that pure religion or true faith, the kind of faith that passes muster with God is, is a faith that would compel us to care for the needs of others? To be concerned about the people that God would be concerned about. To do the kinds of things that God would do if he were here in the flesh. To care for the widows, the orphans, the needy, the oppressed. No, I don't think it would surprise us at all. Because at home, at God's deepest nature, God cares about the poor and needy. And where is God's home exactly? Not just up in heaven. But in our hearts. For those of us who put our faith and trust in him. God's love resides in us. And God's love should flow through us into the lives of others. So what happened then to these people to cause them, those who were once uh, very active in their faith, who, who knew all of God's commands and what he called them to do to care for the poor and the oppressed and the needy. How did they lose sight of God's heart for the poor and the needy? How did they come to neglect to do anything to help them? I think it must have something to do with the second half of the verse where James is warning us against being polluted or corrupted by the world. Those aren't really words we use so much these days, to be polluted or corrupted. What does James mean? What's he trying to say? How, how does something like that happen? 
Well, my mind goes back to a, a story that Jesus told, a, a parable uh, recorded for us in Mark chapter 4 of the parable of the sower and the seed. And looking at that scripture, we'll find that a farmer went out to sow seed and some landed on the ground and the birds came and ate it up pretty quick. Others landed in rocky soil, so it couldn't really take root and uh, got, got scorched. He tells us here in Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 18, that others were like seeds that were, thor- uh, were sown among thorns. And these people heard the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things came in and choked it out. They crowded out the word because they were so busy and they became unfruitful. No fruit was born from those people. I think what happened to these uh, Jewish Christians that James is writing to, I think what happens to us so many times is that we let the cares of the world lull us or dull us into losing sight of what's really important. Perhaps they got too busy making a living or living the lifestyle that they had dreamed of for so many years to see the needs of others or be motivated to do something to help meet those needs. Maybe they deceive themselves into thinking that it's easy just to go to church and to give their offerings and to you know, avoid obvious sins and that that was enough. That was what God expected of them. But we read here in James 1.27 a warning against letting the world pollute or corrupt us. And friends, I think the real danger here isn't so much that we're going to be tempted to all of a sudden do some big, blatantly evil thing out of the blue. We most often do those after smaller, subtler things that have crept into us over time. The real danger is that we'll get so busy in our lives that we won't have time to see or eyes to see the needs of others and have a heart that's willing to do something about it. I'm just becoming more convinced in my own life that the world's ways of attempting to corrupt or pollute me are more covert than overt. It's not some big decision that all of the blue is going to go against what God wants me to do. It's, it's little compromises that I'm tempted with every day. It's little steps of obedience that I fail to take. Little promptings of the Holy Spirit that I shrug off or think that surely someone else could do it or I don't have the resources or the ability to help. I think it's the busyness that keeps me from seeing the needs that are all around me and the selfishness that causes me to think that my resources belong to me as if I had anything to do with creating them. It's seeing the needs of others but uh, not letting their problems become my problems or thinking that surely someone else will do something. Or to be misled into thinking that I don't have the resources to be able to help. I don't have the time or the ability or the money to do something to meet the need. It's thinking that my purpose here on earth is just for me, for my family, to get enough stuff for us. It's forgetting that my true calling is to represent God in a needy world. So I think James is telling us here that if God's love is truly alive within us, it'll move us. It'll compel us to love God back by loving our neighbor as ourselves. By being concerned about the needs of the most vulnerable around us. The poor, the oppressed, the orphans, the widows. If God's love is truly alive within us, we'll represent God. Really, we'll be like his ambassadors in a needy world. 
Has anyone ever met an ambassador or been to an embassy, either here at home or in another country? Anyone? You have? Whereabouts did you go? Or where did you see the uh, embassy? It was in Washington. In Washington, okay. Did you get to meet one of the uh, ambassadors there? Or? In which country uh, were you visiting? Or which embassy? It's actually the U.S. Uh, American embassy ambassador to Kenya. To Kenya. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Hmm, awesome. So this person was the ambassador to Kenya. So his, his or her job was to represent the United States government to the government of Kenya. Their job is not to do their own bidding, but to do the work that the leader of their country has called them to do. The job of the ambassador isn't to uh, pursue their own agenda, but the agenda of what their leader back home has called them to do. Interesting, too, I've I've learned that uh, ambassadors, when they speak, their words are taken as like the words from their leader back home. And their actions are taken to be the actions of their leader that sent them. So an ambassador is an official representative, a representative to do the work of the one who sent them, who called them to go. And so, too, you and I are ambassadors or representatives wherever God has placed us in our spheres of influence here in this church, in in this community, uh, at school or at work or wherever God takes us. We're called to go and be his ambassadors. I think God knew we'd struggle with this issue sometimes of being representatives in a needy world, of caring for the needs of others. And not allowing the busyness of the world to blind us from seeing the needs or believing that God could do something through us to help. And gratefully, he's shown us some examples that Jesus himself has modeled for us of how he instructed his disciples to be his representatives in a needy world. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at verse 35. Matthew nine thirty-five. Now, I'm not sure what uh, version you came with today, or maybe you've got... Uh, An iPhone, I use that every now and then. I'll be reading from the message paraphrase from Matthew 9.35. And we'll go over into uh, chapter 10, verse 10. It says, Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages in the area, and he taught in their meeting places, and he reported kingdom news. He healed diseased bodies and healed their broken and hurt lives, bruised and hurt lives. But when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke, so confused and aimless they were, like sheep without a shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. But how few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. Here in this situation, Jesus sees a need and he calls that need to the attention of his disciples. And he asked them to do something about it. First, to pray. Matthew 10, verse 1 says, The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered, because Jesus called the twelve of his followers and he sent them out into the ripe fields. Friends, don't be surprised that when God puts a need on your heart, something that that needs to be done, and you pray about it, and say, God, you need to do something about this. Don't be surprised if he says, guess what? You're the answer to that prayer. I put that on your heart so that you could go and do something about it to help meet the need. 
It says here, he gave them the power, power to kick out the evil spirits, to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. And then he lists the 12 uh, disciples that were sent. In verse 5, Jesus gives some instructions that I think are really instructive to us on how we are to live our lives as representatives of God in a needy world. He says, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't be dramatic by trying to tackle some public enemy. Just go to the lost, confused people right here and tell them that the kingdom is near. The people right here in the neighborhood. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Teach the untouchables. I'm sorry. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. I think Jesus is saying here, don't get overwhelmed and feel like you have to tackle all the world's problems. The world does have problems. Just do something about the needs that you readily see right now and right around you. And I'm convinced that all around us, there are needs we know of and things that we can respond to. Just act right now with the things God's already put on your heart, whatever issue that might be. If you don't know of anything, if you don't feel like there's any issue or prompting or need that you're familiar with, ask someone else what they're passionate about these days. Look for something at your uh, home, at school, at church, in your neighborhood, health club, wherever it is that God takes you in the course of your day or week. And then take a step to do something to help. In verse 9, he says, don't feel you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. Don't think you have to have it all figured out to try to meet the entire need that you're familiar with. Don't think you have to go and and, and try to raise a bunch of money and, and do some extraordinary things. Just do the first thing that comes to your mind that you think you can do to help meet that need. God's already given you the resources to do something about it. He's already called you as his representative. And he's given you resources in your personality, your skills, your spiritual gifts, your abilities, your talents. Also, it's not just what we know, but who we know. I found in my own life, when I discovered a need, I might not be able to help something with this, but I know someone I can call. Maybe they can do something, or together we can find others to work together to help meet the need. The last words Jesus gives here really impact me in a great way. He says, travel light. I think it's another warning not to get too weighed down with our stuff or by our lifestyle or our accumulation of things so that we can't see the needs or have a heart to respond. I get the, when I think of... Well, one of the biggest things in my mind right now is like the military, you know, as the Iraq is, you know, the troops are coming out of Iraq and probably hopefully soon out of of Afghanistan. There's a difference between the army that builds forts and the Marines, which have camps. You know, it's not easy to move a fort. And when I think of people getting weighed down by their stuff, I think of like living in a fort. You know, some of our houses kind of look like forts, right? But we're weighed down by our stuff. We're not mobile. We're not easily able to move and respond. But the Marines can tear down that tent and move at a moment's notice. They're nimble. They travel light. They're ready to go and respond to the needs when they are called. Travel light.
Well, Jesus gets a little more practical in the how-tos. Sometime later in the account of when he fed the 5,000 people. And if you want to follow along there, that's in Mark 6. Mark 6, verses 30 to 44. In this example, Jesus was tired and was trying to get some rest. But people were still clamoring after him and wanting him to help them and to heal them. So even though he was exhausted, he still had compassion on the people. He still did something to help meet their needs. And he began to teach the people. And it was getting late. The day was wearing on. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, it's late. The people are hungry. Do something about this need. And it's just like we often do. Jesus, you hear about the problems in Sudan. You see these situations over here in Syria. All these things are happening. Jesus, do something about that. And so often he says, well, what can you do to help? Here in this situation, Jesus says, you do something. You give them something to eat. And then the disciples say, are you kidding us, Jesus? It would take us a full year's wages to have enough money to provide the food for all these people. There's thousands and thousands of people here. Do you really want us to spend our resources to do something to help like this? And Jesus says, well, what do you have? They said, we don't know. He says, go and find out. So the disciples go and they survey and try to figure out what resources do they have to work with. And they find they have five loaves and two fishes. Basically, some kid's lunch. Which reminds me that sometimes all it takes is lunch money to help meet a need. Maybe to take someone out for lunch or to put forth a little bit of money to help meet a need that comes our way. All they had was lunch. Five loaves and two fish. They've added it all up. They looked at the the huge need. They added up their paltry resources. And you know, our resources are never in our own minds going to add up. It's never going to make sense to think that we can solve this need or do something about it. But look what Jesus does. He takes the resources that, that they added up. He blessed it and he multiplied it. And 5,000 people were fed. The need was met. The need was met. And, and not just met, but was provided for in abundance. There was something left over. God's math is not like our math. We can look at a situation and encounter a need and think there's no way in the world we could do something to meet this need. But when God encounters a need, he doesn't add up. He multiplies. And when we see a need and we see ourselves as God's representative in a, in a needy world, we offer what we have to God and he takes it and he multiplies it. He meets the need and he makes sure there are leftovers. God works through us and in us with the resources that we have, with our faith, our skills, our abilities, our connections, and he makes miracles happen. So let me ask you today, what if we held up our lives to the light of this passage from James 1.27? Is your faith something that looks after those? Is your faith one that looks after those who are in need, those who are hurting and vulnerable? Do you have a growing awareness or a sense of the needs about you and that you can do something to help meet those needs? Or have you slowly, subtly let the world corrupt you or pollute you into thinking that there's nothing you can do? Or not not even seeing the needs, that they're there. Or to think that you don't have the time or the resources or the ability to do something to help and make a difference. 
I just wonder today, is there a need that's been on your heart? Maybe years ago you had a dream or a passion to do something to help someone and you just let it slide or you put it off or you said, maybe someday later. Or is there something that's piqued your interest right now, some need that you're aware of, or a, or a, a cause or an issue that's burdened your heart? Maybe it's a missions project that the church has been involved in for some time. Maybe it's a, a well overseas, or, or the South Dakota mission trip, or maybe it's some kind of a local community need, or a big issue like human trafficking. Maybe it's literally looking after orphans by providing foster care or adoption, or visiting uh, widows in nursing homes. Maybe it's Native American ministry or some need that someone else has expressed to you at at, uh, your workplace or in your community. Whatever it is, this week, recognize that God has called you to be his representative in a needy world. Realize that God has given you all the resources you need to respond and to make something happen. You have what it takes. Pray and ask God for wisdom. Ask him to multiply it. And then take that first step and and do something. Don't wait or think that someone else will do it or try to justify it in some way that someone else will meet the need or that God really doesn't want to. Just know that he does. You're his ambassador, his representative to meet the needs of a needy and hurting world. And then watch what God does as you offer your resources to him, how he takes it and multiplies it. And then get in the habit of responding immediately Grow better at obeying God's promptings to do what it is he asks you to do. What difference will it look like right here in Houghton or around the world if we faithfully represented God in a needy world? Our obedient action to care for the needs of the vulnerable and hurting will not only help faith come alive more and more in our own lives in fresh and new ways, But it will be a real blessing to the needs of others. Lives will be changed. And God will look good. Our action will be a testimony to his goodness and his love. And it will be attractive to other people to want what God is doing in our lives, for their lives as well. The kingdom will expand. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we have a love that puts faith into action. I don't know what... It is on your heart today. Something God's been working in our family uh, lately is regarding adoption. We've had a heart for adoption for a long time. We've always talked about wanting to do that someday, but haven't really been sure how that might fit or when God wants us to do that. But our daughters have picked up on that. They're five and nine. And our nine-year-old has begun a savings fund for adoption. And she's got 25 or $30 in there already. And I'm not really sure yet whether it's money that she's hoping that we'll use for adoption or whether she might use that at some point in her own family life. But their hearts are so close to the poor and the needy. And every time they pray at mealtime or at bedtime, they're, they're praying for God to, to help the poor and the hurting and the needy and to provide homes for orphans. So parents, maybe one last thought is, what, is your, what are your children passionate about? And how might that affect your family life as well? Something that we've been thinking and praying about how God might use us to help meet those needs. I'm not sure what it is for you, but I'd like to pray about that today. Join me for prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather today in your name and to read your word and to hear it, Lord. Your call to us to be your representatives in a needy world.
Lord, I'm convinced that we're surrounded by needs all around us. If only we would have the eyes to see them. And Lord, the belief, the faith that you can use the limited resources we have to do something about it. They'll always be limited in our minds, Lord. But you, you take what we've added up and you multiply it. So Lord, help us today, whatever it is you've put on our hearts, Lord, to take that step to respond in obedience, Lord, to meet the needs in a, in a hurting and needy world. And Lord, I think some people today will think, you know, I'm too young, I'm too old, or I did that 30 years ago. I've been faithful and obedient in doing that stuff, but now I'm resting, I'm retired, I'm coasting. But Lord, this word challenges us that it's, it's about being fresh right now, today, Lord. It's not what we've done in the past, but what are we doing right now to continually be your ambassadors and representatives in a needy world? Help us to do that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The last thought I'd like to leave you with is a quote that has really meant a lot to me. It's from Richard C. Halverson, who was a pastor for a number of years and the chaplain for the United States Senate, I think back in the 80s and 90s. His words are something that uh, have impacted me so much, I've printed them off and put them up in my office so I can look at it on a regular basis. And I've brought copies for you too, and they're at our back table if you find meaning in them today. Listen to what he says. You go no place by accident this week. Wherever you go, Christ is sending you. You are nowhere by accident this week. Wherever you are, Christ has placed you. Because wherever you go and wherever you are, Christ has a job he wants to do there. But he can only do it in your body. Amen.